Let's go ahead and pray, and we're going to get into the Word tonight here. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your Word. God, um, we just ask for you to change our hearts, Lord. Let us be focused on you. Let us love you. Let us seek you with all that we have. God, call us out of this world. You're, well, you already have. We just ask that you'd make us pure. Make our, Lord, help us to just be in love with you. And uh, we thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're in Revelation chapter 14 tonight. Revelation chapter 14. And uh, we're going to probably, we're most likely, I, I highly doubt we're going to finish this chapter tonight. So we're probably going to get to about 13 and uh, we'll have to finish for tonight. There's a lot going on in the first half. Now before we, before we start reading, just to recap, um, we're, we're in this kind of parenthetical pause in John's vision. So that we're not in necessarily a, a chronological order. This happens, then this happens, then this happens. We're, we're, we're having this pause. So today what we're seeing is not in order with everything else. And if you remember, we started that little parenthetical pause right around chapter 12. Um, and so a lot of times as John has given us this vision and revelation, he's going to tell us that, that this is happening, this is happening. Then he goes into a pause and he talks about other details within those events. Then he goes back out of it. Now also, a lot of the times, and I'll always be faithful to tell you guys, when we have to speculate, when we we're not really sure. We think John's talking about this, could be talking about that, but we'll have to wait and see what happens. So we're in that parenthetical pause, and we're going to see that 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 ends with uh, ne in chapter 15. But for this week, we're going back to this group called the 144,000. So let's start in verse 1. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like, a ro like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpist playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they, were, they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Let's stop there for a moment. You know, I this past week my wife and I got to go see that movie 13 Hours and we had heard a lot about the what had happened in Benghazi. You know, it's been in the news for years now. And, um, and uh, we went and saw the movie and we were just like, wow. First of all, we were so impressed by these heroes. Just their willingness to lay themselves on the line, put down their lives for saving other Americans, knowing that they didn't have to go. But more than that, we were also shocked at the story. If, if you're familiar with the story, these heroes uh, were kept calling in for support from our other military and calling in for air support, even just a flyover, just a low flyover of the jets to scare away the attacking enemy, and they didn't get it. And one of the things you, you, you leave that movie filling with, and of course it, when you read the story or hear the account, and you can look it up on YouTube and see an interview with um, uh, uh, Fox News and, and the three men who wrote the book who were engaged in this firefight for 13 hours. When you read their account, you're, you're impressed by their heroism. You're just like, these guys are, I'm proud to be an American because of these guys. 
But at the same time, you're also embarrassed to be an American because you can't help but feel America let these guys down. You can't help but feel that because although they kept calling for help, asking for help, trying to get help, the help never came. America didn't seem to back the guys when they needed them most. You know, countries and people, they'll always let us down. But the Lamb, the Lamb of God, that good shepherd, he will never let us down. And one of the things I want to impress upon you about this 144,000, if you remember, in the very as we got into the great tribulation period, we saw this 144,000 sealed in Revelation chapter 7. They were, they were called out and sealed by, by the Lamb, for the Lamb. They were these Jews who were called out to be witnesses for the Lamb. And, and as they're sealed, we see later on in Revelation chapter 9 that the, the, when all hell is released and these, these uh, terrible demonic beings are let loose on the earth, they are not allowed to touch those who are sealed in Christ Jesus. That God protects these sealed ones all the way through and, and now we get the picture of the end of the tribulation. Where are, they, where are the sealed at the end of the tri- tribulation? Well, they're standing right there on Mount Zion with the Lord. He's come. You know, it's easy to look at this life and think, God has forsaken me. God has forgotten me. I'm under trial. I'm in tribulation. There's turmoil in my life. But God has not forgotten or forsaken us. Never will he do that, the Bible says. And we need to hold on to that and remember that, that in the end... We will persevere. And I want to point out one verse to you here at, at the very end here. And we'll, we'll come back to this a little bit later. Let, let's look at verse 12 and 13. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. And the, the end of this chapter is John is going through, and we're going to see what happens in between there. But, but in the, at the end of this section here, what we see is this call to endure, to persevere in Christ because it's all worth it in the end. In the end before, when you stand before the Lord. Or whether, whether your life is taken or whether you, you suffer through something, whatever the case is, it will all be worth it. And the word blessed, happy, happy are those who have died in the Lord. Happy. Why? Because when we see Jesus, and, and, and the theological term is the beatific vision. When we see God in all of his glory, it's like, huh, it's totally worth it. It's totally worth it. I, uh, I, I, I think about that when every time we've gone backpacking, uh, you, you, you're struggling through carrying this heavy weight up the hill. Uh, I, my backpack always has way more weight in it than, than normal people because I've got, I've got youth kids with me and I want to make sure that no matter what happens, I can rappel down a cliff and get a kid who fell or I can I have extra food for the kids who didn't bring enough food. I've, I've always got a ton of extra gear when, it, when I go backpacking. My first aid kit is not just a normal first aid kit. It's like a trauma bag. Uh, <laughs> I'm already, I've got lots of extra super glue just in case kids, by the way, that's like one of the best things to, for cuts. But anyway, I, I've always got this heavy backpack and you're hiking up the hill going, oh, I'm getting too old. Ah, oh, I'm getting too fat. You know, it just, it just goes through and you're so exhausted and you're like, why am I doing this again? But you get up there and you get to where you're going you're like, oh, it's totally worth it. 
it's totally worth it. This is where I, I, I'm coming back next year. You know, of course, the downhill is always so much easier. But it's it, it, th- that vision at the end, he says, yes, it is worth it. Yes, it was worth the trial. And, of course, I'm sure every mom would agree that the labor was worth the trial. That, that labor, that trial was worth the child. And um, so when we come to that end, that's what we want to keep our eyes on, Jesus Christ. So let's get back to this 144,000. This 144,000, first of all, they have their name. Uh, they have the lamb's name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I, I, don't, I, I don't believe that they, this is literally, they've got graffiti on their head. But the idea is that these are claimed by the father and the son. And, and again, I, I think these are Jews. These are not Jehovah's Witnesses. These are not all those others who claim that they're a part of the 144,000. In fact, I don't even want to be claimed in the 144,000. I want to be a part of the church. I want to be up with the Lord, taken out by the rapture. I, I don't want to be one who has to sit through the, the, the tribulation period because as we've seen, it's not going to be a good. It's going to be awful. But at the same time, we see this 144,000 who were under their father, have received the lamb, and, and here they are sealed. And they get a new song, this song from heaven. Now, Mount Zion, sometimes, some, some commentators want to say that this is speaking of heaven and whatnot. I think this is speaking of Mount Zion. And this is at Christ's return, the beginning of the millennial kingdom. That there they are with Christ. They've gone through the tribulation period. They've been faithful. And there they are standing with him. It was all worth it. But they get a new song. A new song about God's faithfulness and redemption. Have you noticed yet in Revelation the songs and how important songs are in Revelation? I mean, we, we're told that by the, the church gets promised that they're going to get a new song for conquering. That they're going to sing a new song. And then, and then we see up in heaven they sing a new song. And there's songs. And, and have you noticed yet what the songs are about? It, it, it's not about the person's faithfulness. It's not about them being triumphant or victors. It's not about like, yes, I did it. I did it. Oh, yes, I did it. You know, sorry, I don't sing. <laughs> it's not about that. It's always about Jesus Christ and his victory for us. It's about what he's done. That's worship. That is why we come and worship. That is why we partake in worship. Because he is worth it. His worthship is there. Jesus alone is the worthy one. And I hope that when you come into worship, when you prepare to sing songs to God, because by the way, we're going to get a lot of new songs in heaven. We're going to have a new song to sing. We're going to sing before the Lord. And, and you might be somebody who's not a very good singer like me. Or actually, I'm a step beyond that. I'm, I'm in the terrible singer category. <laughs> I'll sing behind the sound booth sometimes, and Ben like looks back and like what? <laughs> so I'm like yeah. <laughs> so, well, turn it up, Ben. So <laughs> anyway, but uh, and then when I sing up here, Nick looks at me like and he smiles at me like <laughs> look at Dave, he's trying. Uh, but God is worth it, and when we come to worship, who are you worshiping? Are 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 you coming to feel good? Because worship is not about making you feel good. Worship is about putting the worth on him and on Jesus Christ. Worship should prepare us for the word. 
Worship should remind us about what Christ has done. Yes, he has taken us through another week. Yes, he has taken us through the trials of this week. You might even be enduring through trials. Yes, he has sustained you through those trials. Every victory, every heartache, every valley, every mountaintop, he is always worth it. And, and here are the 144,000, they get a new song. 2 Corinthians talks a little bit about being sealed. If you'll turn with me real fast to 2 Corinthians one twenty one. Zechariah. That was not even close. 2 Corinthians one twenty one. Turn like First Corinthians. Having some trouble tonight. I keep missing it. All right, here we go. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 21. Paul is talking about coming. Uh, the, some of the people in Corinth uh, have kind of doubted that he's really fa uh, faithful because he, he ended up not coming when he was hoping to come. But anyway, here's what he, he talks about. He says, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. Let me just pause there for a minute. It is God who establishes us. It is God who plants us, who gives us the foundation in Christ. That is our foundation in Christ. It is not in anything else, anyone else, any country, any person. It is solely in Christ. That's where we're established. Okay. Now look at what it says then. It says God establishes us and he has anointed us. Think about that word real fast. There's a little word play going on here in the Greek. The word Christ, Christos, comes from the Hebrew word Mashiach or Messiah. Anybody know what that means? Anointed one. It is in Christ we're established and in, in the anointed one we are anointed, set apart, made holy. In the Old Testament when a priest or a prophet was called out, set apart for the Lord, he would be anointed with oil. The oil would be poured over him and it was a symbol of the anointing of God, the, the, the Holy Spirit washing over that person setting them apart for the ministry that they were going to do. So it is in Christ that we're established. It is by the anointed one, Christ, that we are anointed and called out, set apart as holy. Now look what it says. Verse 22. And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Seal. Now today we don't think much of a seal. We, we, seals are like decorative things, right? It's like, oh, we got a wedding invitation. Oh, look at the pretty seal. Yeah, in fact, I, I don't think I've ever done that. Looked at a seal and go, oh, it's pretty. Uh, you know, but we, we look at seals as something that was decorative. But in, in Jesus' day, in the day of the apostles and the disciples, a seal was a signature. It was the stamp of approval. It was the, this is official, this is real and, and, of course, nowadays we have a signature with what, if we want to really make sure something is legit and real, it is, it's got what? A notary, right? We go to a notary and, and we get something signed. I, in fact, I'm doing this right now. My sister and brother-in-law are adopting a child and we have to write a little letter, uh, a character reference for them uh, and to the Korean ministry of uh, something, uh, whatever it is. But anyway... They, uh, we, we've got to take this letter that we wrote and take it to a notary and sign it in front of the notary. 
and have their stamp of approval on it that this has been, this is legitimate. This is not a fake signature. This is a real one. Well, that's what the seal was. Only that person, the one with the authority, had that seal. And they set their seal saying, this is for sure. This is real. This is what, what, what I want it to be. So it's saying that through Christ we establish, we are anointed, and he puts his seal on us, marking us as his. And no one else's. I love that idea. More than that, he gives us a promise. His spirit as a guarantee. I don't know about you, but some days I feel sealed by Christ. Man, when I'm up here preaching, Bible study, loving you guys, worshiping God, I feel sealed. <laughs> Everything is right. There's no room for the old man. But other days, don't feel so sealed when I'm selfish. When, when, I'm, uh, when I'm not being, <laughs> being the person I'm created in Christ Jesus to be, I, I don't feel sealed. And, and, and God wants me to know that he's given me his Holy Spirit in my heart as a guarantee that I'm his. It's an earnest deposit. Literally, that's what it's saying in the Greek. This earnest deposit is given to me as, as uh, hey, <laughs> there's no way, you're, you're mine. No one else. If you buy anything, you've got to give it a pot, you know, either pay for it or give it a deposit. And, uh, and that shows that I'm, I'm all in. I'm committed. I'm not backing out of this deal. And, and God is saying, hey, I've sealed you. I've established you. I've anointed you. And now here's the deposit, my Holy Spirit, that I won't leave you or forsake you. I love that idea. God has sealed me. Let's turn over to Jude. Real fast, Jude verse one, chapter one, verse twenty-four. Jude is right before Revelation, and uh, I love, <laughs> I love this verse, and I go back to this verse all the time. Verse twenty-four, speaking about Jesus Christ. Now to him, Jesus, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless. Before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. Be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you without blemish. <laughs> this 144,000, if, you, if you've read the qualifications of them in, in Revelation here, they, they, they seem perfect. They've not defiled themselves with women they are virgins, it says. Now, this could be the literally that because of the tribulation, it is impossible to get married. They can't be married. And we know that marriage is not something sinful. We don't want to say that. But, but they've, not, they've not gone after carnal things. Uh, but it also very much could be that they spiritually have kept themselves pure as virgins. All the time in the Old Testament, Israel is referred to as a wife, as a pure. Uh, of course, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ, pure and spotless. So they've kept themselves pure, not defiled. Notice that in their mouths there's no lie was found. They are blameless. Man, these guys are perfect guys. Well, it's really about the one who made them perfect. Not so much about the 144,000 themselves. See, the 144,000 has recognized Jesus as Savior. 
They've recognized that he's done this work. They're no longer living under the law. Because remember, what are Jews doing still to this day? They are living under the law. They are saying, okay, obey the Ten Commandments. Keep the law. I've got I've to make sure I, I hold to the law because I'm earning my righteousness. That's really what the law does is the law shows us we're in sin. We can't earn the righteousness. But here to this day we have Jews trying to earn righteousness. This 144,000, what are they saying? Oh, no, it's not about me. It's all about Jesus. They've got their father's name, God, Yahweh, written upon their foreheads. And the, the name of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, recognizing he is the one who has done the work. He's the one who's made me holy. It's not about me. To him who is able to keep you from falling. Jesus Christ, to, keep, to present you without blemish. Man, I love that idea that God is able to do what I cannot do. Are you still struggling to do it yourself? Have you, have you come to the end of yourself yet? And what I mean by that is there are so many Christians that continue with a carnal attitude towards their faith in Christ. They say, yeah, I, I recognize I want Jesus in my life. But then they continue messing around with sin and going, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. They give the devil a foothold in their life. And they continue trying to make themselves better versus saying, you know what? I give up. I surrender. It's all about you, Jesus Christ. I repent of my sin. I'm ready to follow you now. That's the attitude of one who come to the end of themselves. I can't do it. I need you to do this for me, Lord. And then you know what? how it plays out with a new song. I come to church on Sunday. Lord, you carried me through another week. God, you've done this in my life. I'm here in church today worshiping you because of you. I get to sing songs because of you. I get to give offerings because of you. I get to hear the word and understand it because of you. God is doing this work. He is the one who is able to present us without blemish. Now, the church, you, in Jesus Christ, this is how God will see you on that day, without blemish, without spot. In fact, I believe this is really how God sees us now in Christ, without blemish, without spot. And, and uh, it's hard to believe that about myself. When I look in the mirror, I'm like, really? Without, uh, I don't know. But that's how, Christ, that's how God sees me in Christ Jesus. Rejoice, sinner. Rejoice. He's done the work. That's something we're singing about. These have been redeemed from mankind as a first fruits from God. You know, it's interesting when you look at the Old Testament, there's an illustration here of being sealed. Uh, if you remember back to the story of Noah and the flood, um, we have Noah and his sons heading up into the ark. And if you remember how they shut the door of the ark, remember they, they walked up into the ark and they had the ropes and they had these pulleys and they were striving and they got the elephants involved. You guys remember that part of the story? Oh, wait, no, it's totally making this up. In fact, if you quit listening a minute ago, I'm now a heretic. Thank you. <laughs> no, what we read about it is God shut them in and sealed them. God sealed them through the trial. This flood that came upon the earth to destroy the earth, to judge the earth, to bring judgment upon the earth, God sealed his people and carried them through it. It's interesting that right before Noah and his sons, we have Enoch, where in, Enoch, in the genealogy of Noah, we have Enoch who walked with God and then was no more. 
two people that we see in the Old Testament that never died, Enoch and Elijah. Enoch walked with God and then was no more. And then, uh, and then we, we saw that Elijah also was carried up into heaven. But think about that. Enoch walked with God and was no more. I, I, I really believe that Enoch, and this is a weak illustration. I, I recognize that. But I think Enoch is, a, is a, a picture of the church. And I think Noah and his sons are a picture of, of the Jews getting, take, being carried through this tribulation period. But, and again, it's a, it's a weak illustration. But, but I, I think we can see this idea of being sealed. That this 144,000 is sealed through this tribulation period. God has protected them. They're the first fruits. Amen to Jesus Christ who carries us through. All right, let's go to verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, <clears throat> a second, followed saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the, the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Verse 9, and another angel, a third, followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Three angels, three messages. Very unique thing. Here we have uh, this angel flying across heaven, uh, proclaiming the everlasting gospel. But it's interesting about the eternal gospel. It's interesting about this gospel. It's a little different than the gospel that you and I usually think about. This gospel has a, has a little bit of a tweak to it. The gospel that you and I talk about is that we are in sin. That Jesus Christ has paid the price for that sin and we can be redeemed. This gospel is saying it's a call to fear God because judgment has come. Worship him who made heaven and earth. Now, it's interesting because the gospel can be good news or it can be judgment and fear. I receive the gospel as good news because I recognize it's a message that there is time to turn. It's a gospel of grace. God has died for me. He's taken my sin upon himself. He's given me his righteousness in place for my unrighteousness. But then again, for an unbeliever, there's the fear of judgment, isn't there? For someone who's rejecting God, there's an idea that judgment is pending. And, and if you were in the tribulation, if you're seeing all these things go down, if you're seeing a beast rise up and an antichrist and they're, they're taking lives of anyone who will not take the mark or worship the beast, seeing this angel, man, this is a message of hope for, for those who reject the message of the beast. For those who are accepting the message of the beast, it's, it's a message of judgment. So this, this gospel message being proclaimed to all who dwell on the earth, every nation and tribe and language and people, everybody's going to hear this. No one's going to miss out on it. And you know, they, you talk to those people that say, well, you know, if, if God did some fabulous miracle, I'd believe, or if I saw an angel appear, boom, say, Jesus is real, I'd be like, yeah. Well, here in the, in, in the tribulation period, 
we're going to see an angel, three angels <laughs> flying by, the totally new meaning to fly by, flying by, proclaiming these truths, and what we're going to see is rejection on the people of the world, not acceptance. We don't see them turning from their sin. We see them continuing to reject, although this, this call to reject. First Peter tells us, <clears throat> Peter says that God is not slow in fulfilling his promises to you, but he's patient towards you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. That's amazing about God. He's patient with us. He, he, he has every right to judge us right where we're at, right for, for the very sin we've done. But he's patient, wanting us to repent, wanting us to come to him, wanting us to receive forgiveness. People criticize and scoff at the love of God. How is that love, God's threat of judgment in hell? That's not a loving God. A loving God would be forgiving. He would just say, hey, you're good enough. The problem is when it comes to holiness, good enough is never good. Good enough is just what you're not good enough for. Think about it. It's like being in a gold medal race and not winning the gold medal. It's good enough. But did you win? Did you receive the, the real prize? Or did you get the silver? And, and we, we set our standards pretty low. We're like, hey, the silver's pretty good. Okay, fine. It's, it's like being in park and recreation basketball and receiving a ribbon for participation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Here's your ribbon. You participated. And you can go around showing everybody, look, I participated. <laughs> right? But it doesn't mean anything. You and I know that. It's like being in the Super Bowl playoffs but not making it to win the Super Bowl. It's not good enough. If, if Super Bowl, if making it to the Super Bowl and, and – and just losing in the Super Bowl was good enough, you'd be a Broncos fan. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. If you're a Broncos fan, I'm so sorry. I've been bantering back and forth with the Divers. So, <laughs> okay. Anyway. The whole idea, though, is being good enough is never good. Guys, we need to, we need to be able to conquer and it's only through Jesus Christ that we can conquer. So this, this gospel is going out. Every nation, tribe, language is hearing it. Fear God. Give him glory with a loud voice. And it's interesting because the more God makes it evident to people, the more the hardness of heart happens. The more Pharaoh was made aware of the power of God, the more he hardened his heart towards God. That, that's, that's what we see in Scripture. Those who have hard hearts, unrepentant hearts, those who don't want God's goodness, those who scoff at God and say, this is no goodness. God, God, if God really loved me, he'd forgive me. Those who do that, even though God does offer his forgiveness, what we find is the more they encounter God, the more they see the power of God, the more they see what God is doing, the more they reject God, the more they turn from God. Now, you and I both have loved ones, I'm sure. I, I know I have some loved ones who I want more than anything to receive Jesus Christ. So much so that, this is going to sound bad, but, but it's true. So much so that I pray that God will not take them quickly, that God will take them slowly. So we have time to minister to them, to love them, to continue to share the gospel with them. Because I don't want them to die without Jesus Christ. I don't want them to suffer. 
But I, know, I also know that dying without Jesus Christ is only going to bring suffering. I want them to repent. I want them to turn to the Lord. But somehow they continue to harden their hearts towards God. People will continue. Even if an angel in heaven is, is flying by, they're going to continue on their way. Uh, verse 8, we're going to handle in a couple chapters, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. She who made all the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Babylon the Great, we'll, we'll handle this more in detail. But what we see in, in, in later is this is the apostate church. This is a church who has denied Jesus Christ. And they, they've, they've come up with, uh, they, they've become uh, apostate. They've turned away from the truth and started welcoming in. Oh, you, you know, you can bring that in and be a Christian. You can do that and be a Christian. And they've become a total apostate church, a false church. And we'll, we'll handle that more in, an, in another one. So, but here's what I want you to get on this one. The first angel is saying, turn or burn. You know? that, no, I'm just kidding there. No, the first one is saying, fear God, turn to him, judgment's coming. The second one is saying, hey, the false church, the apostate church, it's toast. It's showing itself to be a falsehood. It can't save you. The third angel, though, is saying with a loud voice, this is the burn message part of the message, and we don't like this very much. In fact, most of us Christians want to try to not talk about this, the H-E double hockey sticks word. We don't want to talk about hell. But this is what it's saying, verse 9. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives a mark of its name. This is intense. This part of the passage is the part that we want to go, okay, so let's move on to something else. But this is a reality. You know, it's interesting. The word hell, Gehenna, in the New Testament appears 12 times, 11 of which by Jesus. You know, there are teachers out there that say Jesus didn't, doesn't really talk much about hell. Jesus doesn't want, he doesn't, he doesn't promote this idea of eternal fire. That is a total lie. Jesus talked a lot about hell. He talks more about hell than the other writers of the New Testament. Jesus said, hey, here's the reason why I've come. This is what is waiting for you if you die in your sins. If you try to say, you know what, I'm good. I'll just see, hopefully my good will outweigh the bad on that day. It doesn't work that way. It's not about good outweighing the bad. It's whether or not you've done any bad. Whether or not you've sinned in any way. And we all are guilty. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and Jesus lets us know that, that it, you can't do it. It is impossible. You only have one destination waiting for you and that is hell. That is judgment. That is all you've got. There's no hope for, hope to get out of. You are dead in your sins and transgressions. That is why Jesus came. He came that you might have life and have it to the full. Not that you would hopefully get out of this, but that you would get out of it. Notice these ones who have turned and started following the beast. They're sealed by the beast. The others are sealed by Christ. The ones who are sealed with the beast or have taken the mark, you know, some Christians are afraid, of, oh, I might, I might receive this mark. And I have a story about this. I, uh, 
One night uh, I was invited to a, our college group years ago, back when I, I was young. I was first married to Laura, and um, the college minister at the time, he invited us over to a surprise night. And the surprise night was at Chapman University. That's where he was uh, doing a lot of work, and he was at Chapman University all the time. And so what the surprise night was that, no, he never told anybody, was the surprise night was a, a persecuted church night. And basically they were all inside doing worship, and all of a sudden these guys bust into the room and mask, and they're, they're coming to the room, and they, they just totally punch the guy out of the door. And, um, and then uh, they, it basically the whole idea is to scatter the church, and then you go around finding people. Well, uh, I didn't realize what was happening, and I had a new wife, and I jumped up, and I, <laughs> I just started going at it with these guys. Well, eventually, uh, the, I'm choking this guy, about ready to just pound him in, in, in the Holy Spirit. And uh, <laughs> I wasn't going to let anybody get my wife. So, um, so anyway, uh, he, he's like, Ave! he's trying to talk, and I'm like, what? Oh, wait a minute. I, I, he, I, I pull off his mask, and it's Harry. I'm so confused. Do I punch Harry or not, you know? And I'm trying to figure this out. So, so like, I put down, and me and one other guy, Adam, because Adam also jumped up. And Adam was a, a reformed criminal. And um, so <laughs> he was kneeing a guy. I'm like, Adam, stop. <laughs> and uh, surprise. So, uh, <laughs> so. We walk out, the adrenaline's coming off. We're just like, oh, my gosh, you know, what just happened? We're trying to sort it out in our head what was happening. And then we find out, like, oh, this was a part of the plan and so on in the case. And um, so, of course, my wife kind of knew something was up because I just, like, walked out of the room and left. <laughs> so I didn't get in trouble for that one. But um, then it gets worse. They scatter the church. And so the people are running trying to find the secret church meeting place. They're running around campus telling people to take the mark or die. They're running up to people that aren't even a part of the refuge group. College, you can't do that today. That would be called terrorism. <laughs> but they're running up to people, take the mark, and you have these, these college students just crying. Oh, you know, calling campus security. It was a total mess. And at that point in time, I was like, thank you, Lord, that I did not plan this. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, anyway. Then afterwards, uh, we, we got back with everybody, and, and, of course, everybody started telling me, you know, hey, live by the sword, die by the sword. And I'm like, uh, yeah, no. So <laughs> I didn't go with that. So anyway, but uh, the, 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 the whole idea, they were trying to get everybody to take this mark and say, worship the beast. And, you know, I, I, I told them afterwards, I was like, I, hate, I even hate that idea that you're trying to, I mean, think about a young believer who says, oh, okay, I'll, I'll take the mark because they're scared or something like that, not even realizing what it is. You're just destroying somebody's faith, not building them up. This is totally fake. It's role play. It's not reality. So um, anyway, we, we had differences. But nonetheless, these people here, they don't want Christ. That's the key. They don't want God. Their hearts are set upon the beast. We're not going to accidentally take the mark. I don't believe that at all. I don't believe we have to worry about barcodes or tattoos or whatever, chips, GPS markers, whatever. I don't think we have to worry about that yet. I, I think that God will give us wisdom. We're already sealed with his Holy Spirit. Christians, we don't have to be afraid of accidentally taking a mark. We don't have to worry about that at all. You will know. Well, first of all, I don't even believe that the church will be here. But 
if you're listening to this message in the future, you'll know. So, okay. So we don't have to worry about that. But here's the deal. Look at what happens to them. God's wrath is poured out in full strength. Man, extra strength migraine medicine. You think about extra strength. I mean, that's really the idea here in the Greek is like this is like the full power of God's wrath. Those who take on this mark in the image and they say, I'm ready to worship the beast, all of God's wrath is coming upon. I don't want that. If you're saying that, well, this is kind of in this kind of fear tactics, telling people about hell and the wrath of God. Yeah, it is, and it's working. It's, I don't want that. I don't want God's wrath on my life. I want his blessings. He's my creator. He's a good God. I want to know more of him. And so we have here the, um, notice what it says though here. It's not something that it just ends. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up. How long? For, for a day? No, forever and ever. They have no rest day or night. Eternal judgment. Eternal judgment. I, I, like I said, we are uncomfortable with the idea of hell. And, and, and often when we think of hell, we think of like, yeah, it's okay for bin Laden, but not for me. Or not for my loved one. Oh, yeah, Hitler should be in hell for sure, but not grandpa. You know, we have to be faithful with the message of the gospel. God is patient, not wanting for anyone to perish, but for us all to repent. That's, he's patient. He's provided the work. We want to be faithful with the gospel. But hell is real. And, and this torment will happen for those who reject God. Is it an issue of God not loving them? No. The Bible says, for God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son. Not part of the world. It's not an issue of love. God has taken extreme measures for you, for me, for this entire world through Jesus Christ that you and I would not have to suffer his extreme wrath and his separation. I wonder, are you ready to receive his mark? The mark of God in your life? He's ready to put it on you. <laughs> no question about that. God is ready to put his seal upon you, upon your life. The question is, are you ready to receive it? Here is a call for endurance to the saints. Why can we endure? Because we know God will make things right. God will judge. He will end suffering. He will end evil in this world. He will judge. It's a call for endurance. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. This passage here, I often say at the end of a memorial service at a graveside, I'm giving the, the last benediction and uh, standing over the, the grave, the coffin. And uh, I tend to always just take some flowers and kind of throw flower petals onto the grave and pray a short benediction there. But the, the, the benediction includes this, blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds do follow them. It matters how you live in Christ. It absolutely matters. But it is not by your works that you are saved. It is by your faith in Jesus Christ. Are you ready to receive his mark? That's my question. Let's pray. If you're in this room tonight and you're in a place where you know you need to repent, 
you want to turn to him and receive that seal upon your life, you just pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, come into my life. I accept what you did on that cross for me. Thank you for doing it. Thank you you died in my place. Please put your seal upon me. Let me receive your Holy Spirit. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness to those who trust in you. We just thank you, God. We thank you for your, your gospel, your good news that we don't have to die. Lord, we can have life in heaven abundantly. Lord, bless, bless everyone in this room. Lord, help us to be faithful with the, the message of the gospel, taking it out to the ends of the world. Lord, help us be faithful with in becoming more and more like you and looking more and more like you. Jesus, we love you. Accept our worship now in your name. Amen.